Well, these are um, uncertain and in some ways unprecedented times. In my almost uh, 40 years, I can't remember something that has swept across our nation to, to this degree where uh, everything seems to be shutting down, where, where churches across the nation are making the decision or, or governments are making the decision for churches that, that they aren't allowed to, to gather in, in large corporate gatherings. And as we, as a leadership kind of started to, uh, some of the information started to filter out, we, we felt like we needed to spend a little bit of time talking about what, what are we going to do with this? And, and I've got to admit, I'm not, I'm not smart enough to, to understand the, the medical side of it. And I've asked Rodney Young to, to come up and, and kind of share with us, if you would go ahead and make your way up here. Rodney, if you don't know him, he is a, a, uh, a family doctor and also is uh, part of the, the, the teaching faculty at the Texas Tech uh, Medical Center here. And, and I thought it would be helpful to hear from uh, somebody that, that understands this a little bit more. And I don't know about for you, but um, it, it's kind of confusing because uh, there, there's mixed messages out there. And um, let, let's be honest. At times, the, the media has misled us in, in the recent past. And uh, so, so I just wanted to start with at least the, the, the basic understanding of what, what is going on in, in our world. What, what is the, the coronavirus or the, I think the, the more precise term is the, the COVID-19. You kind of share with us what, what that is, what, what the symptoms are, those kinds of, of things. Uh, okay, so uh, COVID-19 is the name for the disease that's caused by this coronavirus. Um, coronaviruses are a family of viruses that aren't new to Earth. They're around. Um, most of the coronaviruses that we know give us something that's comparable to a common cold. Um, this is different. Uh, if you've watched the news much, you have seen that um, COVID-19, the disease is, the virus is related to the type of virus that caused the SARS outbreak and also the MERS outbreak, which is the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, coronaviruses have the potential to cause a severe respiratory illness. And this particular coronavirus is a concerning um, pairing of infectivity. It propagates itself well with the potential for lethality. If, if you have a viral infection like Ebola, for example, we're all terrified of it, but Ebola is so highly lethal that it doesn't spread as well because if you get Ebola, you have something like a 60% chance that you'll die from it. So you hear about Ebola outbreaks and they tend to be confined to places that are far away and they don't efficiently spread. On the other hand, things like seasonal influenza viruses spread very easily and they're hard to combat because they mutate a little bit year to year and they're a problem to bring under control. Influenza tends to have a a lethal rate of something like 0.1%. So we have millions of cases of influenza annually and something like 30 to 60,000 or so people will die in the United States from complications of influenza in a year, which is a big number, but it's something we're accustomed to and we live with. Um, there's a lot of questions that surround coronavirus, but the one thing that we've observed from China and South Korea and other places is that it 
it spreads very efficiently, uh, made perhaps even more efficiently than seasonal influenza, and it spreads from person to person very efficiently, and it is killing somewhere between 2 and 5%, depending on whose numbers you look at, and, and those numbers are scary. They scare all of us, but I, I do want to remind us that there's only so many people that are tested for coronavirus, so we believe that 80% or more of the people who get coronavirus infections experience something that's more minor, perhaps a common cold or a flu-like illness, the kind of thing that they don't have to seek medical care for, and so they never get properly diagnosed as having had coronavirus. So those people aren't included in that denominator when you're figuring out just how lethal the virus may be, which is, that offers some reassurance. So as we think about why this is um, so, uh, so out there and, and, and such a big deal is, is partly because it's new and, and also because of, uh, of the, uh, you mentioned, uh, some of the other diseases that, that the mortality rate is so high that, that you, you die almost uh, immediately or, or you're quarantined, but, but because the symptoms can be mild, that, that makes the spread um, more, more rapidly or, or more quickly at times. Yeah, I mean, this was, I think everybody knows that, that we believe this started in an um, animal food market in Wuhan, China. And uh, viruses, coronaviruses in particular, are hosted a lot in animals. Uh, in bats, is a common thing. And if they make the leap from species, which is possible and is, uh, seems to have occurred in this case, then the next question is, okay, it's transmissible from animal to human. Is it transmissible from human to human? In this case, both of those things are true. It was able to make the leap. It transmits from human to human. And what's particularly problematic about viruses and makes them always a challenge is that they tend to get into you, start replicating, you're shedding virus and you're effective some period of time before you know you have any symptoms at all. In this case, we think the coronavirus that's probably somewhere between two and seven days of infectivity before symptoms. Um, some people think it might be as much as 14 days, which is where we get that term about quarantining yourself for this period of time to try to be on the side of safety. But because there probably were a lot of people in this well-populated area of China that got infected with this, had no symptoms, and exported it away from China to the rest of the world, you know, really it was, the cat was out of the bag long before they noticed something was going on and tried to figure out how to confine it in China. So can you help us understand or, or maybe just remind us of what those, the, the habits are that can uh, minimize the, the exposure and spread? And then uh, secondly, if, if we start to experience the symptoms, uh, you mentioned that the symptoms are similar to cold and flu, um, what, what, what are the actions that we should take? Where, where should we go to seek treatment? Okay, so for um, the first couple of the, f the first question is, how could you, what can you try to do to prevent this? It's all the things that you're hearing about a lot. So I always tell people long before coronavirus that, you know, rule number one for staying healthy is try to avoid sick people, at least in terms of infections. And so that's what this social distancing thing is all about. We know that this virus spreads person to person in a highly efficient way. And so trying to keep some space is the important thing. 
the virus spreads by what's called droplet spread. So just walking past somebody with coronavirus isn't going to infect you with coronavirus. And it's not so much that somebody has to stand in your face and sneeze on you and have you inhale it to get that. But what happens is people sneeze, they cough, they cover coughs, they handle communion trays or doorknobs or whatever it is. And those things can live on surfaces for at least hours and probably days. And so you come along, you touch it, and then, you know, your nose itches a little bit, you scratch it, you know, <laughs> something happens along those lines where we, rule number two is keep your hands out of your face. So it's very difficult for us to do it. We underestimate that so much. They do time motion studies on people who they sit them down and say, listen, it's really critically important. Keep your hands out of your face and then watch them. They will still touch their face dozens of times in a day. So you have to be really conscious of that and really careful about the bringing your hands to your face because that is the portal for entry for the virus for most of us. And then the third thing is all this business with the run on hand sanitizer and soaps and everything like that. That's important. Get, get into the habit of cleansing your hands. Soap and water is sort of the ideal. So when everybody says wash your hands for 20 seconds or sing the happy birthday tune twice or whatever it is that reminds you to do that, that's not our standard practice with hand washing, but this is a time to adopt that as your standard practice. And it's not, you know, a little bit of this. It's wet the hands down, lather them up between the fingers, around the fingers, cleanse the fingertips. Be really thorough in the process about that. And I always tell people, especially if you're in a public bathroom, get your paper towels ahead of time so you don't do all this cleansing and then have to walk over and turn a handle or push something that's covered with germs again right as you do that. So do those things in terms of hand washing and keeping your hands out of your face and trying to avoid sick people. Those are the best measures we can take. On a public health basis, that's where this whole conversation about social distance is about. Trying to keep people from clustering in places where they transmit it effectively. You know, had March Madness not been canceled, that would have been sort of the ultimate nightmare from an epidemiologic perspective because you put a bunch of people from faraway places together in a small place where they scream and do everything else for a period of time and then they all go back to where they came from. That is the fastest way to spread a virus like this. Okay. As far as the symptoms, you want me to answer that question? Yes. So like I said, uh, there's probably a lot of people who will get it and not know anything happened. Um, a bigger number will likely experience something that's sim similar to a common cold. Uh, the most common symptom in coronavirus is fever, <clears throat> but it doesn't mean you absolutely have to have it. About somewhere between 77 and 98 percent of people will have fever with coronavirus, oftentimes a significant fever, like 103 type fever, not the 100.4 types of fever. So significant fever, a cough, and then if you um, if you start to develop the more worrisome symptom, that's when you have shortness of breath or persistent chest discomfort that's associated with it. So if you're literally sitting there and having trouble getting air in, getting enough uh, air to breathe, that's the time when you probably need to be thinking about seeking medical care. Because if you rush off to your doctor's office and want a coronavirus test, the moment you start to have fever or a cough, they, even if they could get the test, which you currently cannot, they really couldn't do anything other than admire it at this point. We don't have a specific treatment for coronavirus, and that's what causes all the concern on a nationwide scale, because 
In the whole country, we have about 45,000 ICU beds. And when coronavirus is in its most severe form, you are going to be put on a ventilator, experience respiratory failure. Those are the most severe symptoms. And they believe that something like 60% of our population will get coronavirus. And as that happens, particularly those that are more vulnerable, like if you have chronic heart disease, lung disease, diabetes, um, especially if you're over the age of 80, those are the groups that have had the most trouble fighting this infection, and therefore the people that need to be protected the most. But if all that happened, if this tsunami came all at once, we do not have anywhere near the capacity to treat the people in our, in our healthcare system that would suddenly become necessary. So that's why all the drastic measures about trying to separate us and just do whatever we can to slow it. If it comes in smaller increments and waves, we'll be better able to keep up with it. And by the way, heart attacks and strokes and other things that require ICU care aren't going to stop happening out of courtesy for coronavirus. So there's still an existing demand for those beds, and then there's only a small margin over which you can do to treat it. So I think you helped me at least understand a little bit of, of why social distancing is, is important, that it kind of lessens the load of, uh, on the, the health care system itself uh, so that we can still provide care for all these other um, illnesses and accidents that, that, that happen. But let me just make sure that I, I, I clearly understand um, what you're recommending as we, if and when we get sick or experience symptoms, uh, you're saying that, that initially we just stay home, that, that we, if it's work, we, we stay home from work, those kinds of things, and, and that we seek treatment primarily when it starts to affect breathing. Is that? Or yes, that, that, that's a pretty good summary. If, if you're a reasonably healthy person and you develop cold symptoms, isolate yourself, because there's a good possibility it could be coronavirus, and we'll probably never know that. But you should try to stay away from family members as best you can, if you have this ability, you know, stay in the guest bedroom, use a bathroom that's nobody else is using, try to cleanse surfaces that are touched, you know, on a regular basis. If you do need to be around other people for periods of time, like either, you know, when you go out to get food or something in the house, or if you have to go to an appointment and you're going to be in a car with somebody, that's the time for a face mask, like a traditional surgeon's type of face mask that you see. Those are designed to keep germs in, so from getting out. There's some other unusual-looking face masks that you see pop up at a time like this. Some of them look like a duck bill. Some of them have a little valve on the tip of them. Those are referred to as N95 respirators. They're designed to keep things from getting in. So really, they're designed for caretakers who have to be around somebody who's sick to try to protect them. And there's been a run on those N95 respirators, and we're, we're facing problems where healthcare providers aren't having enough masks to be around uh, the people that may come in in the influx. And actually, if you wear that type of mask, it's going to, you know, it, it would only protect you if you're directly exposed to somebody like that. And the measures we talked about with hand washing and being careful about your hands and your face will go a lot further. Okay. Uh the, one of the reasons that I, I wanted to have Rodney come up, because you've heard him talk about you know, this, this is something that, that we don't need to panic over, but we need to take seriously. And uh, he, he sent an e email to the, the elders this past week, and, and what I appreciated about that was, was that tone of, of, of uh, take caution, uh, be, be prepared, but 
in all of this talk of, of social distancing and um, precautions and those kinds of things, he also included uh, something, and I'd, I'd like for you to share a little bit uh, of your thoughts on, uh, you mentioned something about an opportunity for, for ministry uh, as well out of uh, this. Yeah, so uh, there is a good possibility that we are either going to need to decide or we're going to be told by public health or governmental authorities that you can't assemble like this for a period of time. And um, if you've been to Walmart recently, you've noticed it doesn't look like normal. You know, everybody has gone to try to prepare for that sort of thing. Shelves are pretty picked over. It's really quite remarkable to see all of that. So what is likely to happen if this does hit us in a pretty significant wave is that people are going to be homebound, and if they become infected, they really can't get out. And so we are probably going to have people who need things brought to them, who, who need that form of ministry, the, the ability to isolate themselves appropriately, appropriately, so that those of us who are not in that situation could help them by going and picking up prescriptions or necessary supplies that they need for the home and delivering them to their home, even if it's just to deliver it to the front porch and let them know that it's there. And then uh, perhaps that's something where the church could help us by, you know, helping to pay for things up front and then uh, the members who are, you know, who need those services repay the church and then we all act as in, in the form of ministry and helping to get it there. That would facilitate those people being able to do the right thing and still have things brought to them. And also just our willingness. I know, you know, if you're like me, you grew up sort of feeling like there's an attendance chart in heaven somewhere where they, you know, look down and want to know when you're there or not there. And one of my encouragements to the eldership is to, to be responsible and brave enough to, to tell people that this is not the time to worry about your uh, attendance sheet in heaven, that if you are vulnerable or older or others, you, you need to take the initiative to protect yourself uh, when we start to see the community spread like this in our community because it will spread really easily and it does so in crowds. And so I, I think probably we will end up being told you cannot meet in groups of larger than a certain number or something along those lines. And, and we can be responsive to that for a period of time. But, but by all means, uh, don't try to be a hero and be here every time the doors open in a situation like this if you find yourself in that situation. I hope that you appreciate that spirit. I mean, this is somebody that, that as you've heard, that, that has the intellectual capacity and the resources, that, that he understands the, the technical data of all of this stuff. And I mean, he can speak in ways that would make our eyes begin to, to glaze over. And, and, and we just, we just don't lot, understand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yet... He's, he's a person of faith and is balancing this with, with, okay, this is the reality. So here's the question. What are we going to do now? And I want to talk more about that for just, just a moment. And, but before I do, I want to have a prayer for Rodney and for uh, those others um, in our congregation. We have many others that are nurses and, uh, and, and provide services in the medical field, and, um, and also for our, our community at large. And then uh, I'll let you go ahead and step down, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this question. What, what are we going to do now? Father, I thank you for, for the, the understanding of, of the human body and, and these, 
these things that are in our world that, that are so small that, that we can't, can't see. Thank you for people like Rodney that have, have the capacity to understand and the, have, have dedicated their lives to serving. Father, I pray that you will guide him, not, not only in his practice, but also in, in the training of, of future medical professionals. Father, I pray your blessings on, on the nurses and other health care providers in our communities. Father, I pray that you would grant them wisdom as they, they make difficult uh, choices at times. God, I pray that, that healing would take place in our land. I pray that the, the worst case scenario, the, that, that doesn't take place here. And Father, I thank you for who you are and your presence with us. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Thank you, Rodney. You're welcome. <laughs> so there, there's this thing called the, the, the pandemic paradox that, that if, we, um, if we take the measures that are necessary to prevent a, par- a, a, a pandemic, then what ends up happening is that the pandemic doesn't come and all the measures that we took seem wasteful. And yet that is the much better place to be. And I want to talk about, for just a, a few moments here, how, how do we as people of faith live in uncertain times, and for some of us, anxiety and pro- provoking times such as this. The question isn't just, what are we going to do now, but, but we can phrase it in this way, are we going to choose fear, or are we going to choose faith? There's a, a time in the, the, the history of the Israelites where they were faced with that, that decision. As they were at the, the Red Sea and they, they had escaped Pharaoh, they'd escaped Egypt, and, and, and now they, they come to this, this kind of dead end. The, the Red Sea is, is right in front of them and now Pharaoh has sent his, his army and is chasing after them from behind. And I want you to look with me in Exodus chapter 14 as the Israelites are, are in this place. And this is what they are facing. Exodus 14 verse 10 through 12. They, the, the Israelites, they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, leave us, uh, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Now, if you had, if we had the time to, to go back and read, you would know that they didn't say that to Moses. They didn't say to Moses, leave us here alone. They, they were begging God. They were begging Moses to lead them up out. But because, as verse 10 said, that, that they were terrified, they were overcome 
by fear. That they begin to respond, they begin to live out of that fear, and, and it creates this cycle that leads them to um, behave in some destructive ways. Because fear is something that we all experience, and it's, it's uncomfortable. We, we try to, to cope with or to manage that fear. We see that the Israelites, that they choose to, to use sarcasm as a, a means to uh, cope with their fear. They say to Moses, was it because there wasn't enough graves? And they're just being sarcastic here. Perhaps you've learned in your life that, that sarcasm, rarely does it, it help the situation. Maybe you've, you've been in a, a, a business partnership where, where you had each other's backs, but in, in a moment of anxiety, a moment of fear, one of you turns to sarcasm and, and it destroys the relationship. Maybe you've been gathered around the, the a table with family and, and as the, the topic turns to something that's serious, somebody makes a sarcastic remark and the door slams. Sarcasm often makes matters worse. And then out of that sarcasm, they, they begin to to speak in the, these kind of worst-case scenarios. You hear this refrain over and over again, die, die, die. That, that's the only thing that their mind can go to. The writer, the author of Aesop's Fables said that my life has been filled with catastrophes that have never happened. Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 6, that who of you can, can add a, a single hour to your life by worrying? The, the question, whenever we're stuck in this fear cycle, is, is where does that lead you? What, what is the outcome of that? That it leads to this kind of destructive cycle that it just compounds our fear. And what we need in those moments is a man, a woman, or a child. We need somebody that that can shake us out of that. Somebody that, that can teach us a better pathway to go down. And for the Israelites, that is Moses. Verse 13, Moses answered the people and he said, do not be afraid. He introduces a different kind of cycle. He said, this is one of the, the most frequent uh, commands throughout Scripture is to fear not, be not afraid. Do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. I want you to see the, the cycle that, that Moses introduces, the, this fear not cycle. First, he, he says that, that you are to, to stand firm. That you have something that, that, that grounds you. That, that all of the earth isn't shaken. There's something that you can stand on. And whenever you're standing on solid ground, then you expect 
that God is going to do something, that God is going to deliver, that God will help. It's out of this new cycle that God speaks. That God speaks to Moses. God speaks to the people. In verse 15, it says, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Tell the Israelites to move on. Moses is standing before the people that that are panicking, before the people that, that, that are in this moment of uncertainty. And he says, stop choosing fear and choose instead faith. And faith isn't just just blind faith. It isn't just go about business as usual, but but faith, he says, move on. There's something about the way that God works that that so often He he waits for you to make the declaration of faith, to to take a step in faith before He provides the, the deliverance that you expect. So let's... Let's talk about for the last couple of minutes here. What, what does move on? What does it look like for us? As we are living here in, in Amarillo, in these uncertain days. First, we, we begin, as we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, we, we begin, we start here, we start with prayer. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about Acts 1, verse 14, this, this uh, place where the, the church gathers. They gathered constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is the place that, that they begin. Faith, it, it is this expectation that God is going to do something. And if we expect God to do something, we have to to get on our knees and constantly ask that He will do something. Rodney talked a little bit about kind of this worst case thing that, that takes place. But as people of faith, we expect that God can and will move. I asked you to set your alarms for uh, 1.14 in the afternoon. And I've got to be honest, uh, as I've done that, there hasn't been a single time that that has happened at a convenient moment for me. And I, as I've been talking with some of you, you say the same thing. But what that is, is it is a, a way of redirecting our thoughts to God and to His kingdom. Even if it's just for a moment, even if in our our head we sit there and say, I don't have time for this right now, I'm busy. See, the same Jesus that in Matthew 6 says that that you can't add anything by worrying, just a few verses later he will say to seek first my kingdom. And all of these things will be added to you as well. So we begin with prayer. Setting your alarm for 114, it is a way in those anxious moments, to to draw your attention back to God. Also, it it means that that we 
we must think communally and not just individually. Rodney talked to those of us that are are healthy, those of us that are are reasonably young and and this idea of social distancing it's it's an inconvenience to us. But let me be very very blunt that for us to just have the attitude of that we're going to dismiss this as a way of coping with our fears and anxieties, we're going to bury our heads in the sand and we're just going to commit to living life as normal, that is irresponsible, it is foolish, and it is unchrist-like. One of the core principles of being a follower of Christ. Well, let me say it this way. In, in Genesis chapter uh, 4, you have Cain and, and Abel, that, that spat that kind of breaks up between the, the two brothers. God comes and asks where Abel is. And Cain asks the question, what does it matter to me? Am I responsible for my brother? And that question kind of lingers in the background all throughout Scripture. And over and over again, Scripture kind of answers that with a resounding, yes, you are your brother's keeper. Yes, you are responsible for your brother. Romans chapter 15, if you understand that, it says that those who are strong, that they, they care for and they accommodate for those who are weak. And so even if you think that this is being blown out of proportion, it is irresponsible. It is unchristlike to, to just assume that because you're healthy, that you can live however you want to live. Because there are people that come here, there are people that are a part of our community, that they look normal, they look healthy, but they're on medication that suppresses their immune system and, and any kind of virus, any kind of anything, it, it makes them even more vulnerable. It puts their very lives at risk. So to say, I'm not going to bother with the, the hand sanitizer, I'm not going to wash my hands as thoroughly because I'm healthy, that's not the Christ-like way to live. And finally, if we are to move out in faith, we have to remember that we are the church. That this building, it is not the church. There will be opportunities for us to be the church of Christ. Even if, and it may be, as Rodney said, it is probably likely that, that the government steps in and says that, that the gatherings this large are unsafe. It may be, and, and the elders have already um, decided that, that our Sunday evening gatherings, we are going to, to cancel those for the next two weeks uh, for, for now. Our Wednesday night gathering this coming week is, is canceled as well. But those are not 
decisions that are, are made out of fear or cowering to a government that is trying to suppress our right to gather in worship. Those are decisions that are acts of love for our communities. Those are decisions that, that are asking what is at the core of the gospel? How does the gospel require us to live in days like this? What does love require of us? We have some uh, older members that, that aren't even here this morning. Some that are in nursing homes and there are nursing homes around that they are starting to, to close the doors to anybody except for families. And even families that are only allowed in at certain times. And as that continues to uh, as it seems like those kinds of decisions are going to continue to exist, there are opportunities for us to step up as, as a church to stay in contact with those people. And if you're interested in that, uh, we're going to be sending out some notifications over the, the, this next week uh, to provide opportunities for you to, to kind of sign up on a team to, to call people and check in on them. He mentioned there, there may be opportunities for us to, to go and, and pick up groceries for people that, that have become sick and they are, are needing to stay at home or maybe they, they have immune systems that, that make getting out dangerous for them. I've been in contact with, with Dyron, the, the, the leader at Snack Pack for Kids, and, and there's the possibility that that our school systems are going to shut down longer than a week. And there are a number of families in our community that they are dependent, those children are dependent on food that comes from the school systems. And he's already making preparations. He's been uh, ordering more food over the last three weeks just in case something like that happens. And there may be opportunities for us to, to step up uh, financially or maybe even those of us uh, that are still healthy that, that we can participate in in helping to distribute those foods because the schools that that was the primary distribution center and so if if the schools aren't meeting there's a need there and we cannot just gather at the church as we call it incorrectly but we can actually be the church i'm standing before you this morning at we changed our service, we changed, changed the sermon to stand before you in, in some sense as, as Moses, to, to call you to live and to choose faith, not fear, to act responsibly, but to, to move out into the world as the church of Christ. I don't want to just talk about having faith in God. I want to provide us an opportunity now to practice it. For centuries, there's been a, a practice that, that has been known as the breath prayer or a breathing prayer. And I want to invite you to, to bow your heads with me at this time. And it's a pretty simple practice. All you do is, is with your inhale... You breathe in the, the presence of God. And if you're comfortable, you may just want to open your palms, place them on your lap as a, 
a symbol to receive what God is offering to you. And as you breathe in, you're reminded that God is with you. And to breathe out all of the anxieties and fears that, that you face. Father, some of us are more anxious than we let on. And we need to have the faith to not live in, in the fear cycle and, and, and destroy relationships to, to add to the anxiety of others. But we need the confidence of knowing that you will do something great. And Father, forgive us for our lack of faith. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.